Many years ago, traveling through Africa on our destination to where we were going to preach and bring the gospel, we started noticing as we approached the village late in that evening after traveling all day long that strange noises were coming from the engine and they were not good. We were hoping that we would make it. And it wasn't just faith, but there was an abundance of prayers coming. We made it. We ate supper. Worn out, we went to, to bed. The next morning, I got up and the sun was rising and walked outside and there by the van with the hood up was our driver. And our driver had the most sophisticated tools, a crescent wrench, pliers, screwdriver, and he had just performed a top end on the engine as he was putting the valve covers back on. We thanked him with our profound gratitude. He had stayed up all night to make sure that the gospel was going to be preached. He sacrificed that evening and then he turned around he drove us the next day. Eight years ago we were looking for a preacher in a preacher's search we reached out as a leadership to interim ministry partners, IMP. They suggested a guy named Phil Ware. And we are glad that Phil responded and said, here am I, send me. For the next about one year, Phil came and he preached. And he often came during the week. And during the week, he would counsel, he would lead, he would count, also instruct our search team. Many of you were on it. You rolled up your sleeves, you got under the hood, you prayed, you fasted, you researched scriptures, all trying to find out who we were so we would know who God was sending us. Towards the end, there's a guy named Jody God was pressing upon his heart and he responded to our invitation and we partnered up and aligned to take the gospel. But behind the curtains and the levers that was being pulled at home was a lady named Donna. As Phil ran back and forth across, crisscross the countryside, Donna was there holding down the fort I believe after about six and a half years with interim ministry partners, Phil realized again that God was not finished with him and he was blessing him so abundantly with his global missions that Phil made the choice of going all in. And we're glad he did for that. By the way, besides all the degrees that he has, he's just a Texas boy by roots. He has a lot of degrees. He preached at Westover Hills Church of Christ in Austin, Texas for over 20 years. Got a lot of experience. Went to Southern Hills in Abilene for 10 more years. Preached a lot of different places along the way. But our time and intersection was divinely appointed by God. And we thank Phil for coming back, sharing Thank you for the tune-up. Thank you for re-energizing us. 
and helping us get a valve job done so we could move on. Feel where today is a, going to be a hot day. It's going to be 100 degrees. So let's give Phil a very warm welcome. It's great to be back with you. And uh, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, but I'm going to ask you to go to chapter 28, the last few verses. And we'll look at that in just a moment. It was really the search team as they prayed and asked for God's leadership that helped recommend Jody. It was just my job to kind of encourage them, keep them uh, going along and knowing some things to focus on, and you praying during that process. And I am so thankful the Lord brought Jody here. I believe that what has happened here was not an accident. I agree with Leonard, it was a divine appointment. Now, he introduced me as Phil Ware, but I'm going to tell you who I really am. Can I do that? Because you probably thought you were done with me about six or seven years ago. But years ago, we had a, a brother whose wife was a dynamo in our women's ministry. And he got his nose out of joint at some folks at church. And he swore he'd never go back again. And I tried to visit him both going to see him and calling him on the phone. He just wouldn't talk. And then he had a heart event. And I showed up at the hospital and I said, Gene, my name is Brother Fungus. I'm not much to look at and I'm real hard to get rid of. So Wednesday night, you have a comedian coming to preach the gospel. Today, you have Brother Fungus. But we're going to drill in on some things that, that we heard during communion hinted at. The incomprehensible things that Jesus can do, and, and we just get lulled to sleep by going to church. So I want us to jump in because I don't want to be Dr. Overtime today. Let's jump in and let me share a few things. The book of Acts begins this way. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began. And if you don't have that underlined in your Bible, underline it, circle it, highlight it. All that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up from us into heaven, after giving instruction to his chosen apostles through the Holy Spirit. Well, that's how it begins. So what does that tell you? Well, it tells you, number one, that Acts is the second book, right? It's not the first book. It's the second book. Well, look at the end of Acts. I asked you to turn to Acts 28. And I'm not going to read my New Living Translation because I don't like it in the way it ends. The book of Acts, and I'm going to go a little geeky on you a little bit. The book of Acts ends ungrammatically. And Luke is our very best Greek writer in the New Testament. The most proper one. And he ends 
with something that you never do in Greek grammar. He ends with an adverb. Now, for those who don't know what adverbs are, the new English, that's a word that ends with L-Y. And literally, it ends, the book ends with the adverb unhinderedly. Paul supported himself in house arrest in Rome, and he proclaimed the message of Jesus boldly and unhinderedly. Now, why would Luke, the most grammatical of all the writers, end with something ungrammatical? And several scholars have suggested, and, you know, I'm cornbread Phil, but I, I agree with them. Luke wanted to infer that all that Jesus began to do and teach was going to continue, and not just in the second volume of Acts, called Acts. We're writing the third volume today. He wanted those of us who hear his message in the book of Acts not think that God closed up shop and quit doing amazing, glorious, incomprehensible, powerful things just because the New Testament was written. He wants us to know the Holy Spirit longs to write the third volume of what Jesus is continuing to do. And he wants us to know that we're the ones he's writing it through. Now, let's hop back to Acts 1. And you've heard the scripture read, but toward the end of our reading, Jesus ascends into heaven, and the apostles were all gathered, and as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly appeared among them. And he says... Men of Galilee, can I just put it in cornbread English? Don't just stand there, do something. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into the heavens, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. All right, some of you that are old rockers, you remember the phrase, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. You remember that, some of you old rockheads? And that's what these angels are saying. Don't just stand there. Now today, it's like, don't just sit there. Because we ain't sitting hens. We're members of the kingdom of God. Years ago, I told y'all a story about taking our kids when they were little... The Cape Canaveral. That's the days when the shuttles were launched, and there was this big machine called a crawler, and they'd hook up the base on which the shuttle would be shot into space, and they'd attach it to this crawler, and it went at top speed an amazing one mile an hour. I mean, it's hard to walk that slow. And I'm 68, and it's hard for me to walk that slow. Just little by little, but it's so the thing wouldn't topple. And we got there two days before the shuttle launch. I'd love to have seen that launch. But I was pretty excited to see that 
shuttle being brought into place getting ready to launch. But when they got that shuttle in, into place, people didn't applaud go, yee-haw and hallelujah and isn't this amazing when they got it in place and got it ready to launch. No, the joy was when they launched that thing. And I want us to realize that all the nannying and fussing and fighting, well, the sermon was too long today, it's too short, wasn't good enough, uh, the song leader didn't choose songs I liked, those people didn't talk to me, they weren't friendly, it was too long, it was too short, I had to get up too many times, I had to sit down too long. All the stuff we nanny and bow, not my songs, all that stuff. Don't you realize there are two problems with that? The first volume is when we talk bad about our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the voice of Satan. When I picked up my wife on our first date my freshman year in college, I picked her up in a blue Trans Am with a big firebird symbol across the hood that was my roommate's. His dad was an oil man. I didn't, I didn't bother her. I didn't bother her with the, to disabuse her of the notion it was mine on that first date. I mean, I did have wintergreens on the console, so I didn't want to, you know, make this an abbreviated date. And when she had looked me up in the hello book that told who freshmen were and had our picture, and what my major was, it said pre-med. She thought she was going on a date with a future doctor in a Trans Am. <laughs> and because she grew up in a home where every Sunday for lunch, they had roasted preacher and fricasseed youth minister, the last thing in the world she wanted to do was marry a preacher. On our third date, she realized, because my car was out of the shop, that I drove the green bomb and I was going to be a preacher. When we criticize brothers and sisters and what happens at church, the first thing we do wrong is we give voice to what Satan wants to spew as poison into the body of Christ. It's gossip it's malicious, and it's evil. So before we start pointing at the evils in Washington, we'd better take a good look in our hearts because that's where the stuff that comes out of our mouth comes from. Now, are there ways to deal with problems in the church? Yes. Go read Matthew 18. Jesus is real clear. But that's not one of them. The second problem is we're confusing something. We think that the goal of church is today, Sunday. What happens in this box? Do you realize that the vast majority of Christians in our world today don't go to a box to have Sunday worship? Most of them worship in houses. A lot of them under persecution. This isn't the goal this is the launching pad. Our goal isn't to sit around and remember all the great things Jesus did. 
but to be launched into the world he came to save. He wants us to write the third volume of what the Holy Spirit does to bring the gospel to the world. Now, I'm going to back up a couple of slides because it got out of order a little bit. But I want you to remember this because we had this hinted at in the, in the communion service. Do what he tells you. Why? Because, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and will do even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Now maybe you were like me, and you grew up in a church where teachers and, quote, scholars did all sorts of gyrations going here, there, and everywhere in the Scripture explaining what happened in Acts doesn't still happen today. And so they have a problem with this because it doesn't say, I'll tell you the truth, any apostle who believes in me will do greater things than I've done. It doesn't say anybody in the first century. It said anyone who believes in me. Are you an anyone? Are you an anyone? I'm an anyone. Well, how can we do greater things than Jesus? Spent a little time talking to Doc. Ask how many people Jesus baptized in Africa. This church was, has been responsible for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people following Jesus in Africa. Jesus never went to Honduras. Jesus never did go to Mexico. And I'll tell you, in 1995, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, when I was sitting in church at the end of communion asking, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to do with these resources I have? And twice I hear this in my heart, the Internet dummy. The Internet dummy. Well, there wasn't much Internet in 1995. And I certainly wasn't a geek. I thought feeding 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes was amazing. But taking a cornbread English fill in Austin, Texas, and raising up a ministry that reaches over half a million people a month in 15 languages in 190 countries was impossible. And it isn't because we're spectacular. It's because we believed this to be true. Now our translators have planted over 2,000 churches while America was fussing and fighting over COVID and whether we worship or do we have to wear masks when we come to church or do we have to sit apart. Several guys in India put together teams and planted over 2,000 house churches under oppression, many of them in Manipur, the province where they're raping and murdering Christians. Why? Because, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same things I have done and do even greater things. And we're seeing that. So how do we do those greater things? 
Well, Luke's powerfully precious. And he says, let me tell you Jesus' plan. Because Acts 1, verses 1 through 11, is Jesus' strategy to launch us, to get us off the launching pad of Sunday and into the world Monday through Saturday. So, let's look at Acts 1, and I want us to read a few verses that we haven't read earlier. Chapter 1, verse 4, Once when Jesus was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. The first step of fulfilling this, doing greater things, is to pause. And today's the pause. When you hit your knees and you pray, that's the pause. We gather to pause and invite God in to be reminded that we should do whatever Jesus tells us to do. Isn't that right, Spencer? Yeah, we do whatever he, he tells us to do. And we expect him to do even bigger things with the problems that we face. Is our world in a mess? Yes. Is our country in a mess? Yes. It's a mess. It's a fallen, broken world. But we're the salt and the light and the leaven for that. So we gather together and pause to invite God into this and to know we're not alone. When we pause, amazing things happen. There can be a release of power if we expect it. Now, if we just expect to go to church, then we get a church service that we can grade. But if we expect to come pause in the presence of God, to offer ourselves and say, glorify thy name, Father. Glorify your name. Let it be known in all the earth. We're here as your servants to do what you called us to do, to be who you want us to be. Then guess what happens? The Holy Spirit can be at work among us. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's the fifth in a series of things. But singing, giving thanks, and praising God unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will know an example of it, a biblical example of it. Go look at Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. The church at Antioch. The first place that was both Jews and Gentiles. And they're worshiping the Lord and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work I have planned for them, to glorify my name in all the earth. Now whether you know it or not, a whole lot of the great servants in the kingdom of God, they heard their call in church. They had paused. And I know we don't like to talk about God speaking to people or the Holy Spirit speaking to people, but that's, that's often where the Holy Spirit speaks to people and His myriad of ways to communicate calling. I can't tell you how many folks back when acapella was singing and Rodney was dragging the lowest gravel in the world with that bass voice of his, that the Holy Spirit spoke to people. 
that I need to go into music ministry or I need to be preaching the kingdom of God. We pause to invite God in because we believe He will release His power through the Holy Spirit. So, I'm not going to let the elders off easy this morning. There's seven of you dudes. And we dedicate you to the work of the kingdom. But I want to call you as the shepherds of this church every day this school year. Have a designated elder each day of the week to go pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Where Paul prays, I bow my knees before the Father by whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That by the power of his infinite might, he will strengthen you in your inner being through the Holy Spirit. And you remember how it finishes? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church. Forever and ever, amen. So, you next powwow, brothers. Y'all pick a day. And you pray that verse every single day till the end of school, because you're about to start it, for this church. And then when you have a nudge or an inkling of the Holy Spirit pushing you forward, find an elder and pray with them and have them pray that over you and over your ministry. We pause for a release of power. The third thing is that there's a purpose behind it. If you look in verses 8 and 9, Luke says, Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, said, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I want you to begin in Jerusalem, and I want you to go to all Judea and Samaria, and I want you to go to the ends of the earth. That's my purpose. The people in Russia are not our enemy. They're the people who need Jesus. Have you prayed for the churches in Russia during all this Ukrainian mess? You know the biggest problem the churches in Russia have had? Most of their members have refused to fight in the war in Ukraine. So they had to leave Russia. It's decimated our churches. Those that have remained and stayed have remained loyal to Jesus, but they're caught in a crossfire. But without them there, people in Russia don't come to Jesus. Feel the same way about the folks in Ukraine. The guy that preaches at the church where we often attend has a single son in the second most dangerous country in the world for an American or a Christian. I can't tell you the name of that country. 24 years old, working as a day laborer because he believes that God loves those people too and the only way to liberate them is not with missiles and rockets to deliver them from the Muslims, but the grace of Jesus to deliver them from death, destruction, brutality, 
sexism and the malicious that maraud the streets. Why would he do that? He emailed me back, not emailed me, but through Signal, a, a, a special messaging channel that's encrypted, and he said, I'm just amazed every time I read Isaiah 53. By his stripes we are healed. He was bruised and beaten for us. By his scars we are healed. And he said, these people don't know that. they got to know that. they got to know that. So we begin here, near, and far. That's Jesus' purpose. And then the fourth part of this plan is when Jesus ascends into the heaven. You remember what the angels said right after they said, just, don't just stand there? That this Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a closing time. There's going to be a judgment. Now, if you're worried about where you're going to stand before God, get right with God. But 1 John 5, 13 says, I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. He wants you to know. He wants you to be confident in His grace. He wants you to be confident that He is bigger than your sin. He wants you to believe that so that you can be a winsome witness to the world. But the world doesn't know there's a closing time. They don't know there's a judgment. And they don't know that there's a chance for reunion with those that are precious, that love Jesus, that have gone before them. And so when we pause and invite God in and we expect the release of His Holy Spirit, then we embrace His purpose. We've got a message, don't we? This same Jesus that did these things is coming back. But until He comes back, we're going to try to be His hands and His feet and help you understand God loves you more than anybody hates you. God has a life for you better than anything you can imagine. And God has the power through the stripes of His Son to heal you of whatever is broken. So, what do we do with a message like this? Well, let's do more than just stand around looking into the sky. Let's do more than just focusing on what happens on Sunday mornings and whether or not we like it. You know, one of the things I begged y'all when I was here is to build a church where your grandchildren could pass on your faith. Does it make you happy? I don't give a rip if it makes you happy. I want you to fall on your knees and say, God, help us build a church where our grandchildren can pass on their faith to their friends. It's vibrant and living. In 1 Kings, the end of chapter 6, and the our second Kings, the end of chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7, there's a story, and I, I'm not going to read it because we have too many young ears in here. But Samaria, the capital of the ten tribes of Israel, is surrounded, and the leader of Assyria is going to starve them to death. And the siege has gone on and on and on and on. And the lepers have been kicked out of the city. If you think it's bad inside, imagine lepers that are caught between the enemy army and the inside, and they got no food. 
inside the walls it's so bad, women are arguing over cannibalizing each other's children. That's as close as I can get to say what was going on, okay? Unspeakably horrible. And the lepers finally go, guys, if we stay here, we're going to die. It's only going to get worse. So maybe if we go to the Syrian camp, they'll take pity on us, and if not, they'll kill us and get us out of our misery. And they go, and as the prophet had prophesied, Elisha had prophesied, the enemy camp was abandoned. They heard what they thought were two enemy armies coming in around them, and they took off, and they scattered junk for several miles in the desert as they ran away to go home to Syria. And so what did these guys do? Well, what do you think they did? I'll show you what they did. They went to the tent, and they got a bunch of stuff, and they took that stuff and they hid it where they could find it. And then they went to another tent, and they took that stuff. What do you think they did with that stuff? Well, they went to another tent, and they stuck all that stuff and hid it under there so they could find it again. And then, because they were the people of God, one of the guys go, what we're doing is it's not right. It's not right. This is a day of good news, and we must share it. And so they went back to the city that had kicked them out and left them to die and told them about the great blessings that God had provided for them. So let me ask you a question. Does our country and our world need to know that there's good news? Absolutely. And before, I, and I'm going to say this as delicately as I know how, because I know there's some broken hearts over this. But before we put them down for cannibalizing their kids, with all the talk about gun violence, you know a beating heart in the United States is 350 times more likely to be stopped by abortion than by a bullet. And if you've been touched by that and wrestle with that, please know God loves you, He cares for you. But our world is sick because it doesn't know the value of a human being, because it doesn't know the gift of grace. It doesn't know the hope of reunion. It doesn't know there's something better. And so the angel says, quit standing and looking into the sky. Church is great. I'm a hand raiser some of the times. I love to praise out. I love to rejoice. I love when worship is powerful. I love 728B. Because I believe there is a God. And He is alive. And His power is available to help us do the mission He sent us to accomplish. 
And we have a Lord who is coming. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm 68. I never thought I'd be 68. My dad died at 51. When I was 52, I was a wreck, Donna can tell you, because I just expected to fall over at any minute. I had a grandfather that died at 51. So I figure I'm 17 years over the limit. I went up, put a tree stand up a couple of days ago. The next morning, I felt like my knees were stitched to my chin. I was just sore and stove up. I didn't do that 10 years ago. I don't think I even did it when I was here. So I'm pretty happy looking forward to Jesus' return. Except there are people I don't want him to come back yet because I want to see him come to Jesus. And that's our message. This is a day of good news. And we are a people of good news. And it's a great time for me to come back and preach this message because you guys have been to Africa and Honduras and Mexico and you're looking to do more and Juan's doing his deal. And that's great. So don't look at this as the goal. Church in the box is good. They're good people here. But there's a broken and dying world outside that needs grace. So let's go embrace the mission and not just stand looking into the sky, but to tell the world the Savior is coming. Let's stand and sing. That he should give his only son.